You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show, and as normal, I'd like to start off by having a shout out to all of our new listeners. And this week, we have new listeners in London, Manchester, Coventry, Liverpool, Norwich, Southampton, Canterbury, Gloucester, Hull, Bournemouth, Sandudno, Birmingham, Newcastle upon Tyne, Reading, Guildford, Cardiff, Portsmouth, and Swansea. We also have new listeners in Dublin, in Ireland, in Lille, in France, in Barcelona, in Spain, in Lisbon, in Portugal, in Brussels, in Belgium, in Rotterdam, and in Nord Brabant, in the Netherlands, in Hessen, and in Nord Westfalen, in Germany, in Hoverstaden, in Denmark, in Malopolsky and Islasty, in Poland, in Zelinsky, in Slovakia, in Vienna, in Upper Austria, in Austria, in Valais, in Switzerland, in Rome and Lombardy, in Italy, in Zagreb, in Croatia, in Attica, in Greece, Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, Kampala, in Uganda, Tamil Nadu, in India, Beijing, in China, Moscow, in Russia, Tokyo and Kanagawa, in Japan, a first listener from Malaya, so warm welcome to you from Salangor in Malaya, Queensland in Australia, Sao Paulo in Brazil, and then in Canada, British Columbia and Quebec, and then in the USA, we have new listeners this week from California, from Georgia, Florida, Virginia, New York, Texas, North Carolina, Massachusetts, Oregon, Washington, D.C., Washington State, Minnesota, Connecticut, Colorado, and Illinois. So again, a week with new listeners right around the world, which is great to see. It's really good to see you all taking an interest in GDPR. And of course, as always, a shout out to all my regular listeners. It's great that you all take 30 minutes out of your week to uh, spend that time with me and catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR and what's happening And as always, I hope you find the program useful and entertaining. And uh, if you have any feedback on the content of the program, things you'd like me to cover, things that you'd like more information on, uh, people you'd like to see interviewed on the program, then please do drop me an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk podcast at insurety.co.uk or go to the podcast page on the insurety.co.uk website and uh, I do read every single email that comes in and thank you for your feedback I really appreciate all the positive feedback that you send Uh, I don't have time unfortunately to reply to each and every email but where I can I will take back to you so in a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have an update on the uh, data breach by HM Revenue and Customs with regards to voice recognition data. We have news of a dispute between the Home Office and the ICO 
concerning uh, automated facial recognition. We have details of a data breach by the Scottish National Party, the SNP, in connection with material they've sent out for the European elections. We have news of a data breach from the DVLA in the way that they are sending driving licenses and other documents such as wedding certificates etc um, out by second class post and finally this week we have details of a dispute between uber the uh, ride hailing company and their workers over details of what employee data uber are holding what they're using it for and how they are profiling that user data. So another great mix of articles for you in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you listened to our show last week, you'll know that we mentioned about a case with HMRC and then not following the GDPR rules correctly with regard to voice recognition for people accessing their tax records uh, from HM Revenue and Customs. Uh, We've had an update on that this week and uh, HMRC say that they are continuing to delete the records of 5.1 million customers who have not given consent and uh, that they believe they can do that ahead of the date imposed on them by the ICO. So that is good news. And they also have been in discussions with HMRC and have now worked on a mechanism for gathering consent, which the ICO is content is fully GDPR compliant. And so HMRC now having confirmed that have said that they will uh, continue to use voice ID enrolment, but only where they hold explicit consent under this new uh, mechanism. And currently that means that they hold data for around one and a half million customers, which they will continue to use, and they will grow that by having consent mechanism now in place. I have to say that we've tested this uh, consent mechanism ourselves, and it seems to work very well. Um, It does rely on voice, but basically you are now told that you don't need to leave your voice, and if you do choose to leave your voice, you can still change your mind halfway through and not give consent to the voice record being stored. So I think they've taken a very proactive response there, and I think they're to be thanked for that. Um, It's not yet known whether the ICO will impose a financial penalty on HM Revenue and Customs for the data breach with the other uh, recordings that they had that they shouldn't have kept. My suspicion personally is that I think that if they delete them within a reasonable time period then there probably won't be a financial penalty but the ICO say that they will announce before the end of May whether there will be a financial penalty to HM Revenue and Customs or not for the data breach but other than that I think we can say that the case there has reached a satisfactory conclusion. Obviously, if we do hear 
any more from the ICO or indeed from HMRC themselves, we'll bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Thursday, the 2nd of May, saw the local elections across England and Northern Ireland. And certainly in England, it saw a major change in most, the makeup of most of the local councils. And as a result, of course, that means there are now lots of new councillors who will probably not have received training in GDPR. And yet it's important that all do to enable your local authority to remain GDPR compliant. And so having previously provided training to a large number of local authorities in England, uh, we will be running a special online training session in the week commencing the 20th of May uh, this year. And we will repeat the session as many times as we need to to train everybody. If you uh, are listening and are one of our existing customers or you're not one of our customers yet, but you are from a local authority and you'd like your new elected members to benefit from our GDPR training, which is specially tuned towards the needs of elected members, then do make sure you listen to next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show when we'll be bringing you details of how to access the online training. It will be a live session, so there will be an opportunity for your members to ask questions and get answers from our experts. Uh, there will be a charge for the online session and the demo providing details of all of that next week but please do remember that it's your elected members um, individual responsibilities to make sure that they are GDPR compliant and so we hope that a good number of you will choose to take up those training sessions but congratulations to everyone who's now been elected as a local councillor in England or indeed has made their way on to one of the new Northern Ireland authorities. And commiserations with all those candidates who were unfortunately not successful this time around and best of luck for you all in the future. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The publication of a report by the Home Office into automatic facial recognition has caused a bit of a dispute between the Home Office and the ICO. Uh, basically the Home Office have been conducting a quite long-term study now into the use of automatic facial recognition and how it might work by having technology available on smartphones used by police officers either when they're out on patrol or particularly when uh, individuals are brought into the custody suite of a police station so that the idea is that they um, would have more luck in apprehending suspects and also that if a suspect then got to the custody suite 
there would be less chance of the uh, suspects not being questioned about other crimes which they were suspected of committing, uh, which might otherwise be missed. And so on the face of it, that sounds like a reasonable idea. However, uh, the report has made its way to the chair of the Science and Technology Committee in the House of Commons, uh, Norman Lamb MP, who said that a 27-page document simply does not do justice to the critical issues involved, specific issues relating to the way facial images are being collected and retained by the police have not been properly addressed. The strategy seems to boil down to setting up an advisory board to suggest policy recommendations. He went on to say the government's decision to launch a 12-month consultation on strengthening governance structures for biometrics smacks of continuing to kick the can down the road. Uh, no viewers will find that hard to believe with the current government, but still. Um, he went on to say it seems that we may have to wait for another year before a proper strategy is produced, which is simply not good enough. Uh, the report came after the Information Commissioner, Elizabeth Denham, herself threatened the Home Office with legal action over the growing use of facial recognition. In a letter to the Home Office, she wrote, How facial recognition technology is used in public spaces can be particularly intrusive. Police forces must have clear evidence to demonstrate that the use of facial recognition technology in public spaces is effective in resolving the problem it aims to address, and that no less intrusive technology or methods are available to address that problem. She went on to add, should her concerns not be addressed, she will consider what legal action is needed to ensure the right protection is in place for the public. In response to this week's report, the Home Office said, we recognise that the governance and oversight of these applications and the use of facial images as a biometric by law enforcement could be strengthened further. It went on to say that it will establish a new oversight and advisory board to coordinate consideration of law enforcement, use of facial images and facial recognition systems and undertake data protection impact assessments prior to the use of any new biometric technology or new application using existing biometric technology, inviting scrutiny from an independent ethics panel, regulators and commissioners. So it looks like we could have another year before we really know whether the police will start to use uh, automated face recognition in any serious way. Uh, but it is obviously a very important subject and as we get updates on it and as we get a chance to see any documents that may circulate as part of this consultation, we will bring you updates in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Between Thursday and Sunday next week, millions of people right across Europe will be going to the uh, polls to elect the new European Parliament. And the Scottish National Party this week uh, reported itself to the ICO for a major data breach which it discovered. Uh, it's sending out election letters uh, signed by the SNP leader, Nicola Sturgeon, urging voters to back the SNP on the 23rd of May. 
Unfortunately, a good number of these letters seem to have gone out with the wrong name and address details, meaning that lots of them now have potentially caused a data breach. And indeed, one of the letters which was misaddressed went to a lady called Monica Lennon, who is a Labour member of the Scottish Parliament, who didn't recognise the name on the letter. The Scottish Conservatives said one woman in the constituency of Berwickshire, Roxburgh and Selkirk had received 30 letters at her home, all addressed to people she'd never heard of who do not live there. The ICO said we've been made aware by the Scottish National Party of an incident relating to election materials and we will be making inquiries. The SNP, when we spoke to them, acknowledged that the letters had been sent in error but played down the significance of the data breach. The spokesman said the party had sent out 400,000 election letters but did not yet know how many were affected. They said on Thursday, Mayor arrived with some electors that had the wrong address e-name on the letter. A clerical error has been identified in our office. We have been in touch with the ICO, but there is no ongoing issue with integrity and security of data, and the data provided was not sufficient to be classed as identity theft adding that the SNP wishes to apologise to affected voters. It was rather embarrassing because the error emerged on Thursday morning whilst uh, Nicholas Sturgeon was preparing for her First Minister's Question session at Holyrood, rather like Prime Minister's Questions, but this is in the Scottish Parliament. The First Minister's Questions, where she goaded Ruth Davidson, the Scottish Conservative leader, over a Tory election leaflet which failed to mention Europe but 1,500 turned to Scottish independence. Murdo Fraser, a Scottish Tory uh, member of the Scottish Parliament, said this wasn't just inconvenient and confusing for tens of thousands of householders, it's a very serious data breach and one that could land the SNP in all kinds of trouble. Pete Wildman, a representative for Scotland's 15 electoral registration officers, for the European elections, stressed that the country's electoral registers had not been compromised. It is understood that EROs around Scotland had fielded calls from a number of concerned voters. Mr Wildman said that political parties and campaigners are entitled to copies of the full electoral registers in order to contact voters with their campaign arguments. We are aware that some householders across Scotland have received election communications from a political party which are addressed to another person and are now concerned that the registration details for their address are inaccurate. We want to reassure voters that this problem is due to an error by the political party, the SNP, and not because of any problems with the electoral registers themselves, which we are confident are accurate. So rather embarrassing for the SNP, it will be interesting to see whether the ICO does impose any financial penalty on them. I would think any financial penalty is likely to be relatively small because... The fact that although obviously it's caused some confusion, um, the data breach is very, very minor because if you've got someone else's name but you know damn well they don't live at your address, well, chances are I'm guessing most people would just have thrown that letter in the bin. Um, so embarrassing for the SNP, but I don't need a major issue. But if we do hear any more about it, we will of course bring you an update in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. We are getting an increasing number of our customers now already contacting us to arrange an audit as now it's coming up to towards a year from when GDPR came in and they want to make sure that their 
operating as they should be and we'd like to offer this service out to all of you all of our listeners uh, so if you'd like us to perform an audit on your GDPR uh, operations and make sure that you are recording everything you need to be that you have all the necessary procedures in place and that you know how to action those procedures please do get in touch with us via podcasts at insurity.co.uk that's podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t at insurity e-n-s-u-r-e-t-y dot co.uk please make the subject of your email gdpr audit and we'll get the relevant person to contact you um we're able to carry out audits either on site or remotely and for a pleasantly low cost um I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised with the figure we're able to provide you with for providing the audit. I can't give a global figure here because it does affect, it does depend on how many employees, how many customers, how many records, etc. you have. Um, But please do get in contact with us. It's totally without obligation, but do get in contact with us to arrange an audit because uh, if you do want the audit done around may or june of this year to be annual from when gdpr came in we are rapidly filling our diaries for that period so uh, don't delay do get in touch do it this week and we'll be pleased to provide you with a quote and for the first five of you to contact us to request a a data audit a data breach audit I'm pleased to be able to say that we will provide that to you for 50% of our normal fee. But that's only for the first five of you to contact us as a result of this podcast. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Home Office wasn't the only government department to have a run-in with the ICO this week. Um... The other department was the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Agency, the DVLA. The DVLA was forced to admit that it had had more than 2,000 data breaches in the last year, mainly as a result of sending out uh, documents to the wrong address or them failing to arrive altogether. The documents might either be someone's new driving license, which of course would give useful information for anyone looking to steal someone's identity, or documents that have been provided by individuals themselves, such as marriage certificates, which would be returned to those people. Uh, the data breaches uh, all been, have now all been reported to the Information Commissioner's Office, and uh, the Information Commission Office were waiting for a statement from to see what they want to do or are planning to do about it. Um, but it's an interesting scenario here where, again, much like the SMP article in a way, it's down to simple clerical error on the whole. But, of course, here is more serious than the SMP case because here people are getting information which if it fell into the wrong hands, could be used to steal someone's identity. Um, the 
DVLA said that because of the volume of posts that they use, they return items or send items to uh, customers using second class post unless the customer specifically asks for the documents to be returned by special delivery. Uh, we spoke to the Royal Mail and the Royal Mail said that their view was that they would urge anyone sending important and sensitive items to always use special delivery or at the very least assigned for Royal Mail service and so it will be interesting to see here what the decision of the ICO is because there is an argument to say that DVLA haven't used their um, maximum possible ability to safeguard people's information because just popping it in an envelope and sending it in second class post is probably about the most unsecure way you can choose to send something. But against that, of course, the DVLA are going to argue that to send everything out by special delivery would significantly increase their costs. I've only got some slight sympathy for them on that because, of course, it's not like the provision of a driving license or the updating of a driving license is a service that, on the whole, DVLA provides free. So they didn't make a charge to the public for the service anyway. And so I would think it wouldn't be that difficult to simply increase the charge to the public slightly to cover the increased costs in postage. But we wait and see. I hope the ICO do act fairly firmly against the DVLA on this because potentially some of these data breaches could be serious, as I say, in terms of identity theft. Um, but we wait and see what happens. And once we have an update from the ICO on this, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Facebook suffered another data breach this week, this time in Turkey. Turkey, of course, is outside of the EU, and so whereas if a data breach had occurred inside the EU, the case would have been dealt with by the Irish ICO, and as we know, the Irish ICO is already considering a number of cases against Facebook, the Turkish ICO went ahead and took action against Facebook directly and they fined Facebook just over £210,000 for a data breach which had occurred and the Facebook said that the breach had taken place for 12 days between September the 13th and the 25th 2018. They did confess, though, that it may have affected up to 6.8 million Turkish users and data that they are aware of may have leaked 876 times. The Turkish ICO found that Facebook had failed to timely intervene in the breach and failed to take proper technical and administrative measures. As such, the data breach was considered to be a breach of Article 12 of Turkish law on the protection of personal data, which is almost a mirror copy of the GDPR regulations. And so they went ahead and issued their fine to Facebook. 
radio listeners will know that the Irish ICO has quite a backlog of cases now that it's looking at in connection with Facebook. But given this fine from the Turkish ICO, and also given the fine which we reported on previously from the uh, French ICO against Google, I think there's going to be probably quite some pressure now on the Irish ICO to A, bring some of these cases to a conclusion, and B, to impose a substantial financial penalty on Facebook for the data breaches that have occurred. We couldn't contact the Irish ICO for comment this week, but as soon as we have an update from the Irish ICO, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Uber floated on the New York Stock Exchange this week, as you may have seen in the mainstream press. But here in the UK, Uber drivers are threatening to take legal action against the company because the company has refused to disclose the personal data it holds about drivers, even though the drivers have made subject access requests under the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. According to the drivers and the Data Access Campaign Group Worker Info Exchange, Uber is withholding GPS rating and profiling data and has failed to explain how it uses their personal data in its work allocation algorithms. And this, of course, does come up with an element of GDPR, which certainly we raise in our training, so those of you who've had training with us will be aware of this. Um, but just in case you're not aware, one thing GDPR does do is it means that if you, you carry out any profiling of data, which clearly Uber have alleged to have done in this case, then you have to provide information on how that profiling works. Now, in the case of Uber, it's work allocation, but it might be that in your own organisation you use profiling for credit control, for example. And if someone makes a request, then you do have to provide details of how your profiling actually works. And just to say, well, it's our credit control system or whatever, doesn't cut it. You have to actually provide details of how that works. Uh, In this particular case, the workers are claiming that Uber is in breach of Article 15 of GDPR, which gives individuals the right to obtain confirmation as to whether or not their personal data is being processed and to access the data the organisation holds. The four drivers involved, who include James Farah and Yazin Aslam, who are the drivers who brought the workers' rights claim that Uber is currently planning to appeal in the Supreme Court later this year, have been requesting the data since July 2018 and said they had only received delayed, inconsistent, incomplete, piecemeal and mostly unintelligible disclosures. Following pressures from the group's lawyers, Uber sent them some of the data it holds in April, but the drivers claimed this did not include information relating to how Uber profiles its drivers, an explanation of how personal data is used in automated decision-making when allocating work, GPS data for when drivers are logged off with the app open, logged on and waiting for work, and en route to collect a passenger, daily overall driver ratings and individual trip ratings, and the personal data held by various Uber entities in the UK, Ireland and the Netherlands. James Farah 
a spokesman for the Worker at Info Exchange and a co-lead claimant in Uber Works Rights case, said on the week that Uber floated on the stock exchange as a public company, it's outrageous that it continues to flout important EU and UK data protection laws. Uber has an automated management function and hidden it in algorithms behind a digital curtain while insisting that drivers are their own bosses. Drivers are suspended and fired at will without due process. There's no right of appeal or even an adequate explanation. Drivers will never have access to workers' rights protections while Uber withholds this personal work data. We intend to fight this until Uber complies with the law. Uber uh, have not responded to our request for comment at the time of recording this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, but we will continue to press in the week ahead to get comment direct from Uber. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.